athlete protests at the Tokyo Olympics. This will be a very politically charged, but also, uh, you know, very humanitarian-based game. That's Ray Simboden, one of the top fencers in the world, who's working with other Olympic athletes on a dramatic shift in the way athlete protests and demonstrations are regarded by the rules makers of Olympic sport. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. Ray Simboden is on his way to a third Olympics for the U.S. as a foil fencer. He medaled in 2016 and won gold in 2019 at the Pan Am Games in Lima. At the medal ceremony, he took a knee while the U.S. anthem played, a protest against gun violence and racial injustice. While not the Olympics, the rules of the Pan Am Games are modeled largely on the same principles, including the IOC's Rule 50, which prohibits protests by athletes on the field of play and during formal events such as the medal ceremony. The U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee issued a one-year warning to Imboden after Lima, as well as to Gwen Berry, who raised a clenched fist during the hammer throw medal ceremony where she received a Pan Am gold medal. But in the year that has followed, 2020 generated an unprecedented wave of athlete protests at the professional level and a sea change that has led to their acceptance. The IOC has been swept into this current of change, too. Earlier this year, it asked the world's national Olympic committees to consult with their athletes on how to adapt Rule 50 to a world where social justice and human rights are considered more important than sport by many of the athletes on the field of play. For the USOPC, there were apologies to Imboden and Barry, part of that review, and Imboden now serves as one of 44 athletes on the USOPC Team USA Council on Racial and Social Justice, formed to make recommendations for change. He's a member of a task force focused on protests and demonstrations, along with John Carlos, who's famous for incurring the wrath of the IOC and USOC in 1968 with his clenched fist during the medal ceremony at the Mexico City Olympics with fellow sprinter Tommy Smith. The recommendations from the task force of the USOPC is calling for an end to the ban on protests and demonstrations as long as they don't disrupt the games. Race Imboden was in New York when I spoke with him last week. The recommendation that we made uh, to the IOC that was backed by the USOC was an athlete-led uh, initiative uh, with the Racial and uh, uh, Social, Ju- uh, Social Justice Council. And I do believe that it was a big turning point to see the USOC get behind the initiatives, listen to the athletes, uh, officially say that they should not punish athletes who are speaking up and, and speaking about what matters to them, humanitarian issues. And hopefully we see the same thing from the IOC. It's going to take a lot of these organizations backing the athletes' voices. But the big, the big call is by the IOC, and we'll see if they're ready to do that because it will certainly be difficult for them to understand that issue coming from a sponsorship background, a historical background. So we will see. I'm sure there will be pushback. But they have opened the door to, it looks like, uh, embrace some change as far as that rule goes. Uh, they wouldn't do this just to 
to be a tease about it, uh, they sound like they're somewhat serious about trying to adopt some change. Do you get that reading as well? Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I don't have too much. Uh, I don't have too much interaction with the IOC. My I, I deal with my NGB, the U.S. fencing, and I deal with uh, the USOC. I do think that the question is there. They sent out some surveys for athletes to take, uh, for Olympians to take on if they would be their reaction to people protesting, what they find, what they're willing to, and what they find important with being able to speak your voice at an Olympic Games. But I do believe this reflects kind of the greater issues of the Olympic movement, which was, you know, originally amateurism. And then now uh, is this idea that, you know, we don't really have too many rights to be ourselves at the Olympics. Even with the USOC, we're, we're told what to wear, what sponsors to have, um, what we can and cannot say before and after the Olympic Games. So to have humanitarian issues be under that umbrella, especially right now, I think is something they're they should see as willing to change, especially after these global movements, um, uh, backed, you know, mostly by, by racial injustices. Now your steering committee on protests and demonstrations, uh, has been meeting what for about for a few months has been a few times across that period of time. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess because of COVID you've been meeting virtually in Mm -hmm. Zoom meetings and other sorts of formats like that. What was it like to come up to come come to this recommendation? You know, it was uh, it was great to see. There was a bunch of athletes, some that I knew, some that I didn't, and experts on the call as well. And amazing people that all had the same the same the same vision, which was to be there, to listen to each other, to hear out, and to take advantage of a time where you know the athletes' voice mattered, and the people's voice mattered, and people of color's voice mattered. So. The, the athletes came together, and even though it wasn't Zoom, it was a collaborative effort, and, you know, it was amazing to see a moment where, you know, it did, it did feel like people were getting listened to, and that the, 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 the vision and the, direct, the direction of the USOC was being led by the people within it, rather than, you know, a mysterious number of people above, and, and, I, and I think that's, that's important, and, and hopefully will stay that way. Uh, you work with John Carlos. You and he are the, the, the two protesters on that committee. He most famously from 1968 at the Mexico Olympics. What mm-hmm. was it like having John Carlos as part of that group? John Carlos is, you know, the the real a real protester. He stands up, he represents, and he is affected by the things that he 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 stood for, and he paid the consequences for those things uh, for that protest. And to hear him and have him speak there was was amazing. I think it was very much needed for everyone who was on the board to understand that these issues are from a personal background, from his home, from where he came from, from the way he looks and the way he felt as an athlete competing for Team USA. And when that hit home, I think it was very easy for everyone to see that. I don't hold myself in the same light as him. I came years later, uh, just how... Kaepernick was kneeling and he paid the brunt of being the first. We see a lot of people kneeling now who, who haven't. I, I, I consider myself an advocate to those changes, but to have someone like John Carlos there with the experience who paid the price, who was then, uh, you know, put back into the hall of hall of fame, us, USOC hall of fame honored by Barack Obama at the white house in front of all the Olympians. It's been full circle, I think. And hopefully 
he continues to be a voice and a, le- a person of leadership within the USOC because we need people like him. Now, if you're, any members of your committee there, I think there are about 10 members of your committee yourself, any of them opposed to changing Rule 50, who wanted Rule 50 to remain, you know, sacrosanct, cutting off any kind of protests or demonstrations? No, the, the idea of having this committee was to have a young, vo- a young group of voices coming together that were to incite change. So no, no one signed up that was looking to, to keep it. We definitely had conversations as a whole uh, with the USOC when there was larger chats where people were, were opposed and, and, and we had those conversations. And we're talking with Race Kimboden, the, the fencer, one of the top, top foil fencers in the world on his way to the Tokyo Olympics, he hopes. A member of the Team USA Council on Racial and Social Justice and participated in the steering committee on protests and demonstrations, which is recommending a, a big change to the IOC Rule 50 ban on protests and demonstrations during the Olympic Games. Talking about things coming full circle, it certainly has come to be, in your case, after your kneeling protest at the medal ceremony at the Pan American Games um, two years ago, uh, you were under, uh, I think, a one-year probation by the U.S. Olympic Committee following that, along with Gwen Berry, the hammer thrower, who raised her fist during a medal ceremony at the Pan Ams in Lima. Talk about why you decided to protest there in Lima. And Lima wasn't the first time that you uh, knelt during a medal ceremony, was it? No, it wasn't. Uh, you know, I, I know years earlier, uh, actually in Cairo, after we won a World Cup there. Uh, and the reason I knelt in Lima, which was the reason that I uh, posted about and made sure that my voice was, you know, the, the, the terms that I wanted to indicate, which was uh, gun violence prevention, uh, the mistreatment of immigrants, a president who's spreading hate and uh, racism in our country. So those were the things that I saw. We had just, we had just passed the El, uh, El Paso and Dayton shootings. And I received a text message from my mother kind of while I was waiting for my medal. And it moved me to feel like it didn't feel as good to be an American standing on the podium and hearing your anthem when you're flying back home and there's all these issues and and I felt like there needed to be something to be said about that. And to, to for me, I'm, I'm a person who's been so proud to be an American, so proud to be an American athlete. But I do understand that there is times when you need to, to speak up and to address what you think needs to be changed. We only speak up for the things that we love. You know, you would always speak up to your family members and you would let your, your enemies make mistakes. So I think that it's actually a sign of, of endearment and, and caring. Uh, rather than just calling out. And, and then I, after that happened and after it received so much attention in the media due to people with much, much larger platforms than me sharing and, and understanding that there was an, an important message behind it, I have an opportunity to work on these councils and, and to, to put the work in behind it to actually affect change, which is a full circle for me, which is to hopefully change this rule which has been predominantly affecting people of color for, for years 
and allows athletes to have the freedom to speak up and, and continue that tradition that makes America so great. Well, a year later, after receiving that, that sanction from the U.S. Olympic Committee, uh, you received word that they were essentially taking it all back, that the, they were in error to penalize you and penalize Gwen Berry. How'd that feel? You know, it, it actually, I didn't feel much. I didn't actually even take it, I took it in stride. I never felt too worried about the punishment. I mean, a probation was something that is far less serious than taking your medal away or losing your life in the street. Uh, if anything, my probation and the attention it was drawn to, it allowed me to affect further change. So if if it was anyone's mistake, it was the organization's mistake because they gave more power to the voice, more power to the people, and, and then it affected this change. So uh, we saw it coming. I had been on the groups. I had been in the conversations, and, and, I, and I will continue to be. Reading over the recommendations of your group, it's not clear exactly what will be permitted, what, what form of the, the protest or demonstration might take place during mm. a medal ceremony or other places. Is that something that still has to be worked out or is it up to the individual athlete to decide what they feel comfortable doing and how do you convey the message that they're that they in particular might be you know concerned about whether it's gun rights or racial justice uh, can you talk more how, how how kind of how detailed can you be yeah so uh, you know the recommendation we made was the importance that we set on it was to to speak up and say that there is a difference between disruptive acts or acts of hatred, speak uh, hate speak, and speaking up for humanitarian issues. And that also there's a big difference between someone speaking up for a humanitarian issue and pol a political message. Because a lot of the times when it comes to the Olympic Games, we hear those things connected. And it's not because the act was political. The act was you know humanitarian-based and was then politicized afterwards. So the the idea for us was to explain and to now have the USOC's backing that we will set we will set a, a, a ground rules and more more um, guidelines when we have these conversations and as this progresses. But right now the the important thing was to understand that if we can categorize it, which we will do uh, as a, as a group and with the voices of the athletes and what we're all comfortable with. That the people who are speaking up for the for the rights of others or for their feelings, um, as long as they're not disruptive and acts of hate, uh, then they will be totally allowed. For example, some sort of some sort of gesture, some sort of action during the medal ceremony, but does not disrupt the ceremony. Uh, yeah, so a gesture, a gesture would not be disruptive the same way people, um, you know, cr uh, do a cross, a religious cross after they win an uh, Olympic medal. Uh, it's a gesture to, to show what they're meaning and to, to say thanks or uh, any kind of gesture like that that's not disruptive, that's not uh, breaking these guidelines. And these will be things that we have to discuss much further. That's why they are gray. But right now, the important air, the important the importance behind it is to say that we understand and define the differences between what is hateful speak and what is not, because yeah. that's the important thing for us. Uh, 
because a lot of these these prior, like John Carlos, like Gwen Berry, um, like any athlete who's 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 spoken up, especially during a medal ceremony, it has never been done out of hate towards any other athlete. We're making much of those who protest or demonstrate at a medal ceremony. Most of the athletes don't get to the podium, but they <laughs> yes. only come to the Olympics or the Pan Am Games or the Paralympics mm -hmm. with a message to convey. How do they mm -hmm. get the message across if, if they don't get to take it to the take it to the podium like uh, you know Race and Bowden or others might get to have that opportunity? Sure, I think that uh, you know in our recommendation we spoke about uh, having areas, possible areas for uh, protest. The IOC asked about that in their surveys as well. Uh, there, there will be opportunity for everyone. And the idea is to give equal opportunity to anyone with any platforms that they have. Obviously, social media is a massive platform, and uh, it is very controlled at the Olympic Games. We're not we're not allowed to do many many things on our own platforms with our own voices at the Olympic Games. And uh, we want to give people the freedom to use those to the extent that they are doing good. But the athletes are permitted to talk about these things during interviews at the main press center and other times when they're interviewed by the media, social media comments are, are permitted, permitted as well. So there are avenues, there are platforms that can be used even today without yep. much using Rule 50. Uh, there are, there are. But, you know, for, for Olympic athletes, you remember that this is, you know, there you, you see us every four years. And for especially for those who do make the podium, who do have the voice, who do have the attention, uh, it should be their choice to use that attention and use to, to use that for what they think is good and for what they think matters to them, especially if they're from communities that have been, uh, you know, notoriously put down or not heard or, or uh, affected by issues at home in their own countries or uh, in their organizations that they're a part of. Now you've seen what happened this year in, in sport in the United States, around the world where athletes of all stripes took up the cause of, of social justice one way or another. Um, I wonder what it might have been like at the Tokyo Olympics had they not been postponed. Um, what will happen, do you think, in Tokyo next July? Um, will there be uh, an outpouring of expression that, that might yes. have you know, yes, written, I written along with what happened in 2020? Yeah, I think that if, I mean, especially I can only speak for Team USA and the feelings I have as an American athlete, um, but the, the, to be an athlete in 2020 is to be outspoken in, in many senses. Uh, you have the choice not to be, and you've seen a lot of professional sports taking a stand, a lot of organizations taking a stand now, uh, making some kind of gesture. And they're all choosing their own way to do so within the organizations, as for the athletes, uh, as for the things they're wearing. So I think you're going to see the same thing at the Olympic Games. And I think you would have seen that no matter what. And you will see it even if it's been postponed or not postponed. But the, uh, this will be a very politically charged, but also, uh, you know, very humanitarian based games. This is a time for people to speak up about social justices and, and especially American athletes. And we're talking to Race Imboden on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. The uh, Olympic fencer is uh, leading the way for the U.S. athletes on matters involving the 
IOC Rule 50, as well as excelling on the fencing mat as well. Um, you're getting ready for the Tokyo Olympics. How is that going? Yeah, it's been an, it's been a very unusual time training under COVID. Uh, when I was in California, I spent I came back to the United States. I was training in Italy uh, with my with my uh, longtime girlfriend now and my coach. We came back to the United States for our final qualifier, and it got canceled the day before the event. That was the day the NBA the NBA shut down. Kind of everything kind of ground to a screech. Uh, screeching halt and, and we ended up staying in the United States for three months at our physical trainer's house trying to prepare trying to stay in shape the gyms were closed down things really took a turn and, and mentally for athletes it's, it's very difficult to kind of have that to go from a very very precise four-year schedule where everything is set and everything is leading up to this big important event to suddenly having that gone to not knowing when it would be then having it postponed, then having it canceled. And now to train kind of for fencing, at least without a competition on the horizon. And that's been the first time I've trained like that for maybe this would have been my third Olympic game. So it would have been about 12 years that I haven't had a competition on the horizon nationally, internationally uh, to kind of set myself against, to, to test myself, to push myself for. So to train for months on end where everything is different, the fencing at the club is different. It's, you know, less people you have to, you have to set times to come in. Everything is controlled to even being at the gym, being at the gym is similar, but uh, we've had a lot of great people come out and show support and we figured out ways to help. You know, my coaches are great. My athlete, my athletes that I'm training with, they're great. And the support we have from everyone has been, has been excellent. Mm-hmm. So the hope is still there. The training is still there. It just looks very different in the, in a COVID world. And everybody else, your competitors around the world are experiencing the same disruption, do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think there's different, you know, there's different levels of control based on the, you know, the, the way that countries train. Countries like uh, France and Russia uh, are a very uh, center-based training system where everyone is in the same center. America, Italy, um, some of the countries like that we're spread out. We're club-based. So we train in our different areas and we come together to do training camps. So all very different. The same thing. You've seen COVID outbreaks in, in numerous places. Uh, and unfortunately, that's 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 the name of the game when you're in a combat sport. You need someone to train with. You need multiple people to train with. You need to be around your coaches and you need to be in close contact with people. How do you feel about the determination of the IOC in Tokyo to, to have the games this summer, do you feel comfortable with the arrangements that are being made for your 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 safety and wealth welfare in Tokyo? Sure, I mean the 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 I always think about the athletes' needs, and for me, it's such an amazing opportunity to go to Olympic Games. It's such an amazing opportunity to compete to qualify for an Olympic Games. So the so the, the, my wish is with the athletes. I just hope that everyone gets their opportunity. I hope that that that. You know, this, this, this postponement doesn't affect too many people badly. We don't have too many injuries that people's, you know, careers aren't affected by it. And, and I hope that people get to get the chance to compete at, at the level and to witness and to be a part of such an amazing event. It's been described that the return of the Olympics might be a, a big symbol of the return to normalcy from, from the COVID pandemic uh, a victory mm-hmm. in the battle against the COVID 
virus. Is that is that putting too much on the Olympics? Yeah, I think I think it is. I think it is. I think the Olympic Games is about individuals want and will to succeed and be great at something and to take the time to learn these crafts in 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 ways that are very special. You know, to be a part of the 0.001% of the population that can do something like that. So, is is it a symbol it is. It is a symbol of us coming together and putting on an event and coming in as a world and, and agreeing to these terms and being a part of this special thing, which is sports, which is the, you know, the even playing field. So uh, I do think it's a lot to put on the games. I just want them to be safe. I want them to take their time and, and to be honest with us and, and give us a good heads up of whatever's going on. And, and hopefully we have a, a safe and, and successful games. Before you go, uh, you're coming to us from, from, from New York. We're based in Atlanta, but mm -hmm. I understand there may be an Atlanta connection to your involvement yep. with fencing. Is there? How'd that yeah. I, so I actually, my first fencing lessons were in Atlanta, Georgia. My, my father uh, is a Georgia boy, and uh, I grew up there for a small period of my life when I was a child. And I was in a park playing with a toy lightsaber. Someone came up to my family and said I should try fencing. My first Two, three fencing lessons were in Atlanta, Georgia, before we moved to New York. How about that? Yeah. Well, good luck to you. You're you're a lefty, I understand as well, right? I I am. I am. Is I that am. good or bad in fencing? Uh, it's good when you're a kid. It's it's a it's a big advantage. People don't see many lefties, so you get to uh, kind of surprise some people. As you get older, everybody's seen it. Everybody knows your tricks. You're a, you're, a, you're a foil man. Any other weapons? Yes, sir. Just foil specialist. No, foil specialist, foil, foil, foil for my whole life and probably will be the only one. Well, good luck to you in the months ahead here and certainly looking forward to hearing how it all develops with your work with uh, the U.S. Olympic Paralympic Committee and the Rule 50 work. Good luck. Thank you very much. Safe travels to you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Olympic fencer Ray Simboden has been our guest from New York on this edition of Around the Rings Radio. I'm Ed Hula. Thanks for joining us today. Best wishes for the holidays and for a safe and healthy 2021 from all of us at Around the Rings. For your best source of news about the Olympics for three decades now, aroundtherings.com.